Welcome to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. So often when we um, interview our guests, it's, it, it's all virtual. We've never met them. Um, we've never uh, you know, been with them in person. But today's guest is, uh, is one whom we have met in person and actually had the privilege and the delight of having dinner at her home in San Diego, California four years ago. Vicki Halsey is just a, a delightful person. Just She really is filled with so much energy, so much enthusiasm. She's just very positive and she's passionate, passionate uh, in so many ways for the work that she does and, and reminding people that they, they are brilliant and that they have talents and gifts that, that the world needs. So this is um, a conversation that we really enjoyed as we do them, all of them, but this one was even more special because of uh, the connection we have with her. Dr. Victoria Halsey is a spirited, inspirational speaker, author, and trainer who energizes audiences worldwide by engaging their hearts as well as their minds. With the same skill and finesse that made her a national champion platform diver, Vicki dives in quickly and deeply with her clients to identify and address their needs and visions. Her lively, animated presentations feature entertaining and humorous anecdotes that allow people to relax and laugh while learning, a key factor in creating highly effective experiences. People leave Vicky's presentations with renewed conviction to utilize their own brilliance to tackle key personal and organizational issues. Whether the audience is 50 or 5,000, Vicky's energy, intellect, and passion motivate people to unleash their greatness. Sought out globally as an instructional designer, Vicky creates a power boost for the cutting edge content of well-known management gurus such as Marcus Buckingham, Keith Ferrazzi, Bill George, and best-selling author and servant leadership expert Ken Blanchard by infusing their work with optimal learning practices and innovative training materials. Vicki is the vice president for the Ken Blanchard Companies based in San Diego, California. We are so excited to welcome you to the Someone to Tell the Two podcast, Vicki. It's so good to talk with you again. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I just seeing your two amazing faces is, ama- you know, it just warms my heart. So thank you. Us as well. It really, it really does. We were really looking forward to this. So just so our, our, our audience knows this, uh, we met you four years ago, just a few days before Thanksgiving, when we were the guests of Ken and Margie Blanchard at their home outside San Diego, California. And one of the nights that we were there, we were included in a small dinner party of nine people, and it was at your home. And we can't say it enough. What a delightful evening it was. I mean, the food was wonderful. The conversation was deep and stimulating. The hosts, you and your husband, Rick, were yeah. very, very gracious. And we have these fond and tremendous and meaningful memories of the time that we all shared together. And since then, we've absolutely wanted to talk with you again. And your spirited, fun-loving, generous personality uh, really engaged us. And we knew that you would be a charming guest on this podcast. (laughs) This is our first question for you today. What are your recollections of that night and the company that you had and the conversation we all shared? 
Oh my gosh. Four years ago. That's impossible that it's been four years yeah. like that. First of all, yeah, right. two at the most. So just, you know, and you guys look much younger. That's just really amazing. So, you know, it was, I, I just, I love having a home where anybody that shows up feels at home. And, and that's been my mission. And my husband, thank the heavens, is he has that same mission. And the good news is he can cook, which is like <laughs> super cool. So we can have dinner parties because if I had to cook, people would be like, yeah, I don't think we ever need to go back. But um, <laughs> he is such a great chef. But what was precious to me about that night is, um, like you said, there was some amazing magical synergy in the air, you know, with Gary Ridge, with his wife, both being my MSCL students uh, from USD, Masters of Science and Executive Leadership. So they, that's how I met Gary, first cohort and Maria. And I mean, just, and then obviously working with Ken and Margie for 25 years, you know, and then Keith Ferrazzi, Never Eat Alone, brings his whole kit for making these bracelets with our word. Like, how does that happen? And each person was such a, and my husband, I mean, my husband's such a great, in your world, listener mm -hmm. and catalyst for, um, who are you? Let's talk. Let's, let's listen to who each other, how have you become who you are? And I just remember it being like, like a magical evening of, um, yeah, just joy in living. How's that? Joy in living. Energy. That's great. Yeah, energy. Yes. Yeah, and it's always so funny to have parties because of our home being such a silly home. You know, it's built in 1909. But if you remember, my husband has, for the 40 years we've lived here, he's been making it into a castle. So having the suits of armor and the monster, you know, table, the King Arthur table, we call it, with everybody being able to sit around. I think that it just makes me laugh. But it also brings me to, I mean, you two, you brought such a, like, all of a sudden, because, you know, you just have a facilitative mindset. So you, you share, but you also are so inviting of everyone else that it's like your expectation of genius. I'm just saying everybody up their game just a little because of you. being there. <laughs> then a little bit of alcohol probably helps. Yeah, is, oh, well that does. <laughs> yeah. I don't drink for obvious reasons. <laughs> Already a little wild. Let, let's fill in the gaps for, for our listeners though. Uh, what happened around that table that night? I mean, you had mentioned some of the other guests, your husband, Rick, the Blanchards, Gary and Maria Ridge, who are actually going to appear on our podcast in 2022. Gary is the oh. current CEO of WD-40 Company, and his wife is a philanthropist and just a genuine joy Amazing. to be around. And then mm -hmm. there was, as you mentioned, best-selling author and entrepreneur Keith Ferrazzi. And one of the special memories that we have is that we all went around the table and we shared a word that we wanted to live by in the coming new year. It was something that was had never happened to us before. Um, and it, we just didn't anticipate it. And so it just created this energy in, in the room that night. Well, I, Keith brought the little kit. So your yeah. word is his driver. It's yeah. like I was, <laughs> his driver's in our garage pounding out these bracelets. <laughs> How does that happen? <laughs> Where we, could, we each got, we, you know, here's mine. Mine's right here. So yeah, whoop, we, there you go. Our little bracelet with the word on it. So well, we remember our words. Michael, his word was grace, and my word was no regrets. 
and, and t- so talk about your bracelet. Tell, tell us what your word was that you chose that night. Oh, inspire. I just am all about inspiring people to unleash their brilliance. You know, it really is about, I, I just, whatever it takes with whoever I'm with. And this goes for if you're behind me at the supermarket, <laughs> you know, it's, it's to inspire you to love yourself a little more to release more of your gifts in the world. The world needs people to step into their power and feel confident to that they can make a difference. So inspire was my word. And I'm, I'm certainly, I mean, every time I go into a, a keynote or a, a, a presentation, I just take a deep breath and just settle with me. And it's about other focused leadership, really helping the people I'm with be inspired. Well, as we were preparing for this, I mean, listening to some of your YouTube talks and in you know, <laughs> perusing your website and the Blanchard website, we always felt that and we continue to feel it. I mean, we felt it that night, again, that energy <laughs> that you just give off and, and making people feel brilliant. You made us feel brilliant when we haven't always felt brilliant. And, uh, you know, so that evening, one of the things that happened was underneath all of our dinner plates, there were these questions, if you remember, that, that were asked. <laughs> And it was a pretty vulnerable thing. I mean, it just fostered vulnerability, answering these questions in front of people. For us, we, d- we didn't know anybody that that well. Uh, we've had several conversations with Ken Blanchard and, and Margie over the years, but we didn't know you that well. And, and so for us just to get handed these questions that fostered intimate conversation, was a, it was kind of a vulnerable thing, but it was so meaningful, so rich. And yeah. I remember the question that I was asked was, what is, you accompl- what is keeping you from accomplishing your goals? And I remember having to dig deep that night and just be honest about what was what was keeping us from achieving what we had hoped to achieve for ourselves. And and I know at that point in time and as a nonprofit, I mean, we're pretty open about it. It's a struggle to raise the resources that we need to catalyze the movement of listening that we're a part of. And so, uh, you know, I had to dig deep and and to, to be able to express that in front of a room of very successful people, but it was, you know, as, as Brene Brown always says, like vulnerability is, is courage. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, that, that just, uh, is something we're going to, we're going to take with us for a very, very long time. Yeah. And like Colleen Barrett, what does she say? People like you for your strengths and all your talents, but they love you for your vulnerability. So I think that, that, that really, that was a connective evening. Yes. Where we all just really connected at a very vulnerable, very safe. There is something funny about being in a castle that makes you, (laughs) (laughs) that just makes you laugh and feel like, all right, if I'm, it's kind of surreal, right? Tell our listeners more about that, that dining room. I mean, there's something Uh, magical about that. It is. We'll never forget those suits of armor. We, we, that's an indelible memory. Uh, It's so funny. No, I just remember my husband. You know, he loves, he thinks his name's Rick. So he thinks he's King Richard, right? So he's just all about <laughs> things like that with the, the leather, the giant leather. I don't even know what they're called. Obviously, I just sit in the room. I don't decorate. But anyway, with all the great medieval and the history and how we need to respect history, you know, and I feel like it's a, just a, it is a space where just because of the way it looks and the big giant table uh, and he made the wooden table, he made oh, all wow. the chairs, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, there's something, I don't know, just precious. I think yeah. when, I mean, we just want you to feel anyone that comes to the house to feel like, wow, 
this feels different. I can step into my power. I don't know. It feels like a powerful room to me. Something we use the word organic about it. That is something ah. like earthy. And uh, yeah, yeah, you know, actually our training program, which we'll talk about a little bit more, has really evolved. And a lot of it is because of you and, and your book that you handed us that night, Brilliance by <laughs> Design, which we'll talk extensively about in this conversation today. But, um, you know, our training program has taken on a different shape even over the years as we continue to try to refine it and make it more um, implementable and, and practical and helpful. But I remember we initially called it at the table because we, we've talked about how listening, often the most meaningful conversations happen around the table mm. uh, with, with others as you kind of you know, get to this place where you just truly allow yourself just to be, to be fully who you are. So, um, yeah, I don't know. There's something about being at your table yeah. that night, that, that, that organic nature of, the, of, what, of what occurred. Inspired us, continues yeah. to inspire us. Um, Absolutely. You know, what's funny about that, just as, you know, in the spirit of vulnerability, I think that, you know, we all and all the listeners that are listening, you know, you're a product of your primary and secondary socialization, the stuff that happened in your childhood. You know, I tell my children, if it's not one thing, it's your mother. So just <laughs> let me apologize up front <laughs> for anything I've perpetuated it in your life. But I just, there's something about what you just said that just triggered to me. Our dining room table was a melee. I mean, as a kid, it you just really had to make sure you didn't, you know, if you didn't say enough about the meal, mom would snap. If you said anything negative, like, ah, you know, or you ate a bone, you like would swallow it rather than spit it out because you didn't want to start with the my father screaming at everybody. I mean, I just remember it was so awful. And I do remember thinking, man, when I have a dining room table, it's going to be a place of peace. It's going to be a place of safety. And, and I just laugh now because my poor children would have to come bring something fun or interesting or something that happened at the school day and tell a story every night at dinner, you know, tell it. Mean, I, I just, there's just such funny ones. I remember my oldest son, this is like bird walk and I have ADD. So woo. Um, but anyway, <laughs> he, he comes home from high school and his story one day is of, I guess they were setting up the tables with the counselors about to give out the schedules and somehow the kids, <laughs> this is just so ridiculous, but this is why I mean, there's a spirit at this table. Cause it was at that table that he's telling this story. Somehow the kids broke through the, the, the boundary, keeping them from the counselors. And he said, you wouldn't believe it. There are the counselors running as fast as they can <laughs> with their schedules with all the kids running after them. <laughs> and I don't know, there's just, that's the, you know, I just think um, the mission that you have, the mission I have is kind of celebrate life and life's idiosyncrasies. And, you know, I just remember the joy in my son and we had the two neighbors over because I, I have four boys. Remember, I only had two, my own, but then the two neighbors lived at our house, <laughs> Ryan and Alan. So there are the four boys and everyone's like crying. They're laughing so hard at the way Nick's telling that story. And I just think that's the preciousness of a dining room table and being at the table mm -hmm. when it's a safe table. Yes. Because a table can be very scary because you're stuck you know, at the table, you can't leave and it starts to get tense. And it's like, I don't want that to happen at my table. My table is a safe space. You, you make a very good point um, that, that not every, we generally believe, and this is why, 
you know, we've used that term at the table and yeah. why we've met so many people to whom we listen at tables, often in coffee shops or restaurants yes. or in their homes, uh, because a table is a, is a common space. We all need mm-hmm. to eat. We all need, you know, we all have, you know, just about everybody has it. Most people have a table uh, where, yeah. the, where they do that. And, and there's something, there's something really sacred about that. But you also mentioned that not every table is a sacred table. Hmm. Not every table is a safe table and mm-hmm. not every experience at a table is a good one. And, and that's important to remember too. And I think that's why we, it's so important to us at someone to tell it to, to, to just like you to create a, a, a table that is safe where, mm-hmm. where one can share anything um, mm-hmm. no matter what. And you're not waiting for the blow, you know, no, you're literally no. knowing this is where a- a- anything is, it's safe. It's, it's kind of like what you just said. I like that sacred time. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and if one has to spit out a, uh, a metaphorical bone, <laughs> you know, so to speak. <laughs> oh, please do. <laughs> yeah, that, that it's okay. That exactly. it's okay to do that rather than choke. And yes. choke, you know, sp- <laughs> emotionally, you <laughs> yeah. know, relationally, spiritually, whatever. That's um, right. Those, uh, that's what we all want to do. And I mm-hmm. think that's, that, that's why we, uh, you know, have, have uh, connected with you so, so well and so quickly and deeply that uh, because we have that same, that same dream, that same goal, that, that same hope. Yeah. I love that. And I just think that's what I, I mean, I just feel like that has been my life purpose. You know, no matter who I'm with, I want you immediately to feel safe. I want you to feel like you can be you. I want to know who you are, what you want to achieve. And then as you both know, I want to do everything I can to help you achieve it. And sometimes people are like, stop, please. (laughs) Let's talk about your, your goal, as you've stated, is to influence and to teach and to lead and to learn and to design organizational learning initiatives that unleash the brilliance in people. So they thrive at work, they go home from work happy so as to create vibrant communities and their families. Tell, yep. tell us about that, what it, what it means and how, how do you do it? Mm. You know, it's funny that I've been kind of trying to hone my story because I know like you invite people's stories, et cetera. And I've been thinking about it, knowing I was going to do this podcast. And so a very sad story. You have to lean in a little. Mm-hmm. I got kicked out of preschool. Can you imagine? My parents <laughs> are paying for me to go to preschool and I get kicked out <laughs> because of being, you know, she just wouldn't shut up. She wouldn't do what she was told, you know. And 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 what was interesting was, I mean, they were like, it just felt like from the second I walked through the door, no one was interested in my four-year-old brilliance at all. Right. So, and yet I'm so curious and I'm stuff when I, I, other people might see a tree and I see all the life in the tree. I'm like the, you know, stranger in a strange land, right. You know, it's like grokking, right. Where I take in the hole and I see all the intimate details of things. And, and then I'm a motor mouth. So obviously I want to share those <laughs> with anyone that's interested and they were not interested is the moral of that story. They, that, along with my parents, you know, it was, don't you ever shut up? People like you won't make it in the world. You know, why can't you do what you're told? If you're too excited about something, why don't you calm down? If you're upset about something, 
you know, oh, here's Sarah Bernhardt, the great drama actress. Mm. So it wasn't safe to have any emotion. So I get kicked out and then I start my own preschool in my garage. I'm making handouts for the people. And that's where I found my passion because right then at four years old, I'm a teacher. And that's what I am. Basically, I'm a teacher. I I love teaching. I love influencing. But I wanted every little person in my garage. I had five kids (laughs) to feel brilliant. So I'm going to design. And that's where the impetus of brilliance by design came out. I'm going to design learning experiences that have that build to where people are like, wow, I just learned something. I'm capable. I'm smart. I just drew something that someone else might think isn't that beautiful, but I think it's beautiful. So I feel like I found my passion from getting the boot. And that's what started me. And then, I mean, even going to the public schools, I would sit by the teacher and I would give them insights into how they could bring more people into the party. Like only a few people are getting what you're teaching. Wouldn't it be great? And think about this in leadership. Only a few of your people are brilliant. You know, when you ask people, how many top performers do you have? What do they say? 10, 15 percent. Yeah, 10 or well, what if 75, 80 percent were top performers? Well, why aren't they? Because we're not investing in learning experiences that help people thrive, that help them really learn what it is that they need to learn. And when you think of the model and brilliance by design, It's people. So you really need to understand how people best take in and process information. But then the thing I really want people to think about that are listening is when you're teaching, the next thing is content, which is doing objectives. So often when people bring people together, it's all about what do I want them to learn? In the world of work, they need to be doing something with that learning. Learning by itself isn't anything without doing something with it to improve the human condition, to improve organizational vitality, to really, you know, have people synergistically working together to achieve great things. So as you think of the model then that goes into the design, so what do our 10 to 15% do? to be so successful at what we need everybody to be successful for and at. Write that down. What do they do? Our top people in whatever arena you're trying to unleash more brilliance and move more of the good, okay performers to great, to fabulous, to knocking it out of the park. So they go home to their family and say, man, I made a difference today. Not I did fine. It was another day at work, but I really made a difference. So you take what the best and brightest are doing, and then you build designs to teach everybody to do that. So the E-N-G-A-G-E model, which if you want, I can tell you more about, but just know that whole model is about starting by firing people up, you know, about why would you want to do this? What would be in it for you to do whatever you're teaching, you know, and then I can go into the rest, but I just... I don't have any passion about oh, yeah. that. <laughs> so many questions we could ask in response to that. And one I, I'd like to ask is, and it's almost just a, um, a rhetorical question, but do you honestly believe everyone is brilliant? Oh, 
Absolutely. And they may not be brilliant in the way you're brilliant or I'm brilliant, but in their world and what they do, they are brilliant. How many times I've been in a cab or an Uber or a Lyft or something. And I'm like, well, tell me about you. Oh, I'm an electrical engineer who, (laughs) or I was a vet in Iran, you know, (laughs) and you're just like, oh my gosh. You know, I just think that so often we're trying to numb the the mind of everyone to be everything yep. that we forget there are so many areas. If you think of the multiple intelligence theory, right? And gardeners, you think about the fact that Madonna, musical intelligence, she was terrible, she said in school, but who cares? Look at the music she makes that makes people go, oh. So it's about, yes, we need to have people be able to write and speak and do some of that. But then there's like, what is your genius? And are you in organizations and in people's lives, helping them feel like they can unleash that genius? Part of the reason I asked that question is because we do have a new book that comes out this coming January, Uh, listening two by two, a paradigm shift for leaders. That's when the magic happens. And uh, in the book, we, we make the point that we have to listen in such a way that we make others feel as if they're the most important person and that they, what they have to say is actually of value and it has substance. And if you don't think that somebody has something of value to say, to say, are they, are you actually going to be a good listener? And so the same premise that you're describing here about seeing people as being brilliant, if you don't see them as being brilliant, how are you going to bring out the brilliance in them? Yeah, you know, there have been 8 million studies on expectations driving behavior, right? The, the, the teachers told the class is gifted and what happens? Huh, they're gifted, even if they weren't to begin with. So there's just a lot of studies and I get a lot of pushback on this, by the way. Well, that's not true. And, you know, do you want a heart surgeon who, you know, and it's like, I mean, they say, you know, that doesn't have the competence. It's like, no, this is about building competence in people in the area they need it. But it's also about building confidence in who they are, you know. And when you think about your conversations, I think we reside in language. So sometimes by listening, letting someone talk, they hear their own voice. And what it does is light up all the different parts of their brain. And they tap into undiscovered or, you know, something that's been around and they've a gut feeling, for example, you think of that relationship between the the heart, the gut and the brain, right? Those, Mm -hmm. that's all intelligence. And I think that your model, which is so what I just love about reading everything you two have written, it's just about giving people that space to discover who they are, but also helping them talk out how they want to leverage who they are. What do they want to be? What is their experience? How do they want to fulfill the destiny that they have, but also link because people have to have employment for the most part. <laughs> I know it would be nice if, <laughs> if most of our did. lives doing so. I know, but it's like, so how can you bring more of who you are to what you, you know, what you're currently doing? And then possibly it's a lot of that, I'm actually taking this great class right now, the neuroscience of business at MIT, because, you know, I'm a compulsive learner. I'm in my sixth module of six modules. And what's amazing about that is I, I have learned so many different things like visualization. And I think 
visualization, when you think of your process of helping activate someone's voice and having them visualize that place they want to be in the place they've been so energized. When are you the most energized when I'm doing this and this and this, and how does that show up? And what's the impact of that? And you get them talking. Such a good question. Yeah. Get some standing in their power. It doesn't serve anybody for, I always tell people, if you think you're greater than you, you think that you're less than anyone. It separates you from the possibility of relationship. And what does it mean to be human? It's the, you know, the potential for relationships, for relating at a deep fundamental level. Exactly. One of the things that we, we, we try really hard to do when we are listening to people, it, especially people who are speaking about their pain or their brokenness, their, their grief, their insecurity, their failed relationships, um, we, we try to pay attention and to, to also the things that are not spoken. The way a, a person's eye, you know, where they're looking, what, what their eye contact mm-hmm. is, if, mm-hmm. if any, um, their, their posture, their, their mannerisms, their, you know, all, the, all those kinds of things. And we pay a special attention to when we see someone say something that then seems to light them up. Yeah. That, and we will often point that out to them. Mm. Usually it's someone who has been going, you know, and talking about all of the bad things, all of the bad things that happen and all of the, often the lack of hope they may have, uh, you know, for their lives are, uh, or that there's not much good in their lives. But when we see a spark of light, we will often ask that person, do you you know what just what we just saw here you, you lit up at this when you said this your, your demeanor changed and we ask them to talk about that because what often they, they, they often they, they may be mired in all the all the darkness and all the mm-hmm. bad stuff but we want them to see and all of that's real and all of that needs to be shared all of that needs to come out yeah release it absolutely yeah. Mm-hmm. If you fight it, it stays and it grows. That's the thing I've discovered that it's just, and it takes a magical person like you that can sit with that level of pain, by the way, because oh, it makes people uncomfortable and then they go whoop off into something else. So please continue, Mike. That's just great. Yeah. Well, well, uh, well that's also why we, well, oh, gosh, we, we, well, you're, we're going down paths that we didn't expect to. <laughs> That's why our book, you know, part first, the first part of the, the title of the new book is called Listening Two by Two. That is our model that, mm. that for us, Tom and I have you know, been listeners with one another for 10 years now. And, and, our, and our team members who come on to do listening, everyone is sent out in a, in a team in pairs. Because we, you know, part of the theory for us is that we think that a lot of people, just what you said, don't listen or turn off listening to hard things that someone might be saying because they're alone and it's scary but we've never been scared listening Mm. to the hard things because we're together we're not alone in it you know i'm not the only one hearing it tom's hearing it too and we can face it together much easier than we could do when then we could face it alone you know, some of the, it's a really painful things that some people say. So there's that. So that's, that's why that's part of the reason for that, for our model of two by two. 
Well, what a neat support system, too, for the person you're listening to. So they have twice as much support with the exactly. two of you. And, and we hope twice as much wisdom. You know? Exactly. And, and, yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, there are times when I don't even know how to respond. Um, I may not know what to say, but Tom, Tom does. Should I make a joke about that or not? No. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, our listeners have probably heard Our listeners have probably heard me say before because that happens more times than not, which is <laughs> yeah. not actually true at all. <laughs> but 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 we're, we're support for one another, and you know to help one another when when either doesn't know what to say or how to say it. Um, usually, usually the other one of us can and does. Mm, how do I say this? It's like. It's been a journey of, a, you know, of a lot of years for both of you and same with me, I think, to get to that place where you can hear someone's pain without wanting to solve it, without wanting to fix it, without yeah. all of that. How have you, how have you done that? How have you moved the two of you? Look at that! I'm flipping the interview. That's right. I was just going to think. Oh, how have you did, made that how? happen, though? Because I just think <laughs> I. I just shied away from that. It was too much. You know, when, when I would hear people's pain, it's like, all right, well, let's get back on the horse, <laughs> you know, get off the ground, just start doing. And I would move them to action without letting them have that moment of reflection because it was too hard for me. It brought up my issues and my pain. And, and it was like, okay, that's killing me. You know, let's move past that. How have you learned to do that so well? Well, I think yeah. it comes back to your point earlier, just about seeing the brilliance in everybody. And I think our brilliance, uh, and we hate to even use that word sometimes because it can sound almost like, you know, we want to be a people of humility, but it, there is a humility in it. It's just that we, we've been uniquely wired and gifted in this way that we can, we just, we can do it. Uh, inherent, it's inherent in, in who we are. You talked about a story when you were four or five or six Four, yeah. Yeah, four. And we've shared this on other podcast episodes. We can remember back to instances when we were very young children having a gift to listen to people Mm. and and sit with them in their pain and their turmoil. Love that because it's it's a journey, but your journey, I hear what you say. There's an interesting thing about feeling brilliant, but this is your brilliance and, and, and other people have their brilliance. So your brilliance is not my brilliance is not, you know, it, it really is about... I don't think, and you know, there's that famous quote, the Marianne Williamson quote about, you know, let's not play small. It doesn't serve anybody, <laughs> you know, like if I'm a speaker and I go, well, I don't want to look like I'm too important. So I'm going to talk to you today all crumpled up, you know, because I want to look humble. It's like that isn't serving anybody to, to, to not look like you've got capabilities. And I think there is an interesting dancer. You don't want to look egotistical, right. but you want to celebrate the gift of life. And I think that's where I feel so sad sometimes if people have all these assumed constraints where they're not saying, it's okay. And by the way, this is what I am. And what do you know when you know what you are? This is what I'm not. That's great to know. And let's start sharing that. Thank you for listening to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. Wonders Found Thrift Shop is proud to be one of its sponsors. Wonders Found is an all-volunteer-run thrift shop begun to support our mission team as they rebuild homes in disaster areas. We support local missions, 
people experiencing homelessness, veterans, and children and youth outreaches. We also provide clothing and household items to families displaced by fire or flood. You can learn more at our website, wondersfound.org, or stop in to see what wonders you can find at 7810 Allentown Boulevard, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. We were actually at a, a, a conference that Ken Blanchard was speaking at several years ago. That was when we first met him face-to-face for the very first time down in West Palm Beach, Florida. And at this conference, and we, we wrote this story in our second book, we were at the table, again, with uh, several other key leaders from around the world who were invited to this conference. And there was one woman at the table. We kind of were invited uh, during the lunch hour, I believe, to just go around the table and talk about our own brilliance, what makes us brilliant, and, and what do we <laughs> offer. And I remember I, I kind of tried as best as I could to explain our work, probably to some maybe who tended to be maybe a little bit more analytical people. And the woman sitting directly next to me just said, so all you do is you just listen. And even just the way that she said it, it would yes. just... And so I tried hard not to get like defensive in that moment. Yeah. But I had to sit with it a little while because it was obvious to me that she was diminishing of what I had to bring to the world. So I did sit with it for a while and and I came back to her later on. And so I just, I think one of the ways hopefully to rise above it is to try and meet people halfway. And so I just, I tried to, so tell me a little bit more about you. What do you, essentially, what's your brilliance? And she was in the PR world. And, and, um, it, I definitely highlighted the fact that she was not the best listener and she had some work <laughs> to do in that area because I remember we had had a big, we have an annual fundraiser every fall and we had a big speaker who was coming in the next day. We were going to be flying out of West Palm back to central Pennsylvania for this event. And I said, so I'm just curious, like, what are some things that we should highlight at this event? tomorrow. And she said, she immediately, she goes, well, you need to do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and don't do that. And even just the way that she communicated just said to me, she has some work to do in the listening space because she was probably groomed in some ways to be this leader who just told others what to do all the time and, and Mm -hmm. told them how to essentially live out their brilliance as opposed to just allowing people to find their own sense of brilliance. And I was asking her and I was curious, but I, I think just the way that she responded said to me, she just, she was telling me what to do. And, and that was hard to receive. I think in that moment as leaders, I think our job is to bring out the brilliance in everyone around us and I don't want to just ask like how, how to do that, but I, I want to ask you, what do you do when you see others on, on your team who are not living out their brilliance? I probably teach a couple hundred people a week about leadership, uh, anything from conversational capacity to coaching, to situational leadership too, to, you know, SL2, to just all the different ways. And what, what is, what is so, um, It's like they all have in common the ability to be other focused. 
you know, whether you're teaching the DISC model, it's like, where are you? Myers-Briggs, where are you? Where am I? And I think there's this interesting dance of um, the more you know about your natural tendencies, I think what you were just saying, like, if you think of a continuum, ask versus tell, and the listeners, think about this. What are the last 20 conversations? Would you land more on the ask or more on the tell? Somewhere in between. And then just evaluate, put that kind of into Hiram Smith's belief window. If I believe, because his belief window is, right, it's like uh, beliefs drive behavior that give you results over time, right? So if you just have that across a flip chart, belief, behavior, results over time. So I believe I need to tell. People aren't that bright. I need to tell them what to do, tell them how to do it, all that. That's my belief. So then what's my behavior? I'm always, you know, just remember what I just said. It's like people aren't that bright. They're kind of dependent and all this kind of stuff. What's my behavior? I'm telling all the time. What results over time am I getting? (laughs) Surprise. People are dependent. They're not being that bright because they're just going to do what I tell them to do. But then you put in the next one. Oh, I'm always asking. You know, people are super smart. This kind of thing. I do a lot more asking than telling. So then what's the behavior? I lean in. I want to hear their voice. I want to know what they're all about. And then what have I done there? I'm creating, in, you know, independence, self-reliance. You know, now obviously there's a dance. If the person doesn't know how to do something, that's when it's a gift to not believe what people often believe. If you're in the, if you're a person that's always asking great questions, remember that there is a time when people do need to be told. And you have to overcome your belief because sometimes people believe telling people how to do something, you know, giving your thoughts on how to do something because you had a visceral response to that lady telling you how to do it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And that's because you knew how to do it. Okay. Imagine you had never done it before. Mm -hmm. Then it's kind of a different story, but some people believe telling people how to do things step-by-step is micromanaging. So if they believe that, What's the behavior? I'm always going to ask. And then what's the result? You know, people who are competent at tasks and goals are excited. But if they're new, they're a learner, I might be helping. I might be adding to their vulnerability, their feeling of being lost and frustrated. So it's an interesting dance that we do as leaders to know when to ask and when to tell. But I also think we go against our own belief systems to be able to be more flexible leaders that sometimes do, you know, say, hey, since you're brand new, remember what I said to you, since you're brand new to designing your course, would it be helpful if I helped sketch out for you a template for how to, you know, 25 years of my experience in designing courses that people go, whoa, that was the best thing I've ever done. So that was an example of gaining permission to tell. All right. And I think it's the same with what you do. Is this a time when you want my advice or are you really wanting to tell your story? And I think that that's what's the gift of even that makes someone sit up and go, You know, it's like when I design, I'm like, you can either go in a breakout room and do a case study, or you can go in this breakout room and, you know, and answer some questions about the content. Do you want to take a little quiz or do you want to do a case study? Or this room is role playing. You know, so choice 
empowers people and makes them feel important. And all of a sudden the brain's like, woo, I just chose. And you're like, because they all had to do exactly what you wanted them to do. (laughs) But they got excited because they got to do it. And I think that's important as you process that that the woman, she brought something up in you that you were like, I don't like that. (laughs) You brought up something in her. That makes me look weak if I'm not talking all the time. Yeah. And I just think it's when you get to sit at the table again, you can actually get into, you know, what do you believe as you're telling, you know, how is that helpful? Is that always helpful? And I just think some of the gifts that you two bring mm, can help rewire the neural pathways to expand people's capability to make the kind of connections that are going to change lives and enhance lives. That's what it's all about. Absolutely. We, we, this is hard to believe, but we're running out of time here. <laughs> and what? I thought it was four hours. It's not. <laughs> right. We could go on. For, could we, we could go on for four hours. Uh, it, it, it's, it's just to us, it's fascinating stuff. Let me ask you, it might appear to be a random question, but think that it's, <laughs> think that it's not. Hope that it's not. Uh, you were a national champion platform diver. Which is pretty impressive. That's a, just just those words. Very, very impressive. And neither of us have known a championship diver personally before. So I want to ask you, because I think this is important to who you are today. What led you to that sport? What kept you from feeling fear or overcoming a fear of diving headfirst off of a high, high platform? Mm. And what was it that made you a champion? Um, mm. You know, it's our feeling that 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 drive, that tenacity, that uh, competitive spirit, that striving for excellence is a trait that you contribute, that you continue to exhibit today. It's a trait that, that has brought you to where you are today and, and for you doing what you're doing. So can you just you do, do, you do a little reflecting about that and, and, and how that has influenced and why that has influenced your life? Wow. Well, that is a big, long, I'm glad we have four hours because (laughs) (laughs) um, take as long as you need. Oh, what I love about the question. I mean, my family really was scary. So it was scary to be home. Okay. Very scary. Very scary. I get choked up thinking about it anyway. But so when I would get picked up by my diving coach, Van Austin, taken to diving, here was a safe space. Here was a place I could thrive. He would work with you until you got it. I mean, I remember I could not learn to do a flip and Van would drive me to the trampoline place where I do flip after flip after flip on the trampoline and then drive me back to the pool. And I couldn't do it back to the trampoline, did it again, did it again, did it again, back to the, but the reason I bring up Van is I actually, Van Austin was my diving coach. And I think This is where everyone that's a listener, the power of one person to change your life is just extraordinary to be the one that shows up for someone. He wasn't a mushy kind of guy either. He wasn't, oh, he never was like, oh, honey, you're so amazing. No, no, no. He was very task oriented, but just so supportive. Look at that. And he would have you do it again, do it again, do it again. Mechanics. You know, what, what is this part of the dive? Do your hurdle again. Do your hurdle again. Do your hurdle again. Get your hands exactly where they need to be. He would be like, hold the cantaloupe because your hands had to start there above your head. 
what I loved about it was that it taught me the rigor of any skill you want to put into action, whether it's your listening model, whether it's our coaching model, whether it's our leadership models, skills take practice. Do it again, do it again, do it again. And ultimately you will be good. I mean, it probably took me six months to learn a flip, which just sounds ridiculous. How could it possibly, but there was something about that (laughs) finally making it around your own body and popping out the other side that I couldn't get. But I think that, wow, the skill of the mechanics of things that go together to the beautiful dives. And then we only had a one meter board at the Deauville Country Club in in Tarzana. And so we did it. We learned on a small board again and again and again. And then we'd have to drive to a different board to go a little higher. But because we'd worked with so many of the mechanics, once you went higher, your dives just kept going straight. You just did it, only you could do it higher. And then we'd go to the platform. But because we'd done all the mechanics, the platform worked. So I just think there was something magical in having the coach that to this day, people who have Van Austin coaches, we all look the same. We're the graceful divers. We're not gymnasts. You know, everybody, ah, did you have Van as a coach? I think that that's a, that's a story of someone endorsing someone else. I mean, he even said to my parents at one point, hey, this is the national qualifying meet. And I know Vicki wants to, she wants to impress you so much and make you happy that I think it loses her focus. So if there's a chance you could stay home from this, <laughs> he said that, and he took me to that me. So I think there's just something about, uh, and then I do, I dive into anything because I know, get back to the basics. You can learn anything pretty much as long as you start small, do this task, do this task, do each thing really well. And then you build to where you're doing what you want to do really well. So I, I just, yeah, and I dive into anything. You all know that. <laughs> and it's just about seeing the potential in each other. Yeah. So even coming back to this woman at the table at the Ken Blanchard conference, seeing the potential that she can be more than she is being currently as a leader, that she could be a better listener. Uh, there are skills that, she, that we could teach her to be a better listener. And I'm sure there's skills that she could teach us about public relations and, uh, you know, you've said often just being lifelong learners. Well, that's one of the things when I meet people, what can I learn from them? That's why I'm always asking Uber drivers and stuff. What do you know that I don't know? You know, let, teach me. And people love to teach. Everybody you know, has something to teach us that we know nothing yes. about. Oh, I love that. You, I mean, you just, and then the way you both are, I swear, just being in your presence, it's like, okay, I better up my game a little. They're, <laughs> they have high expectations of my capabilities. So I love that. I want to share the second half of what transpired that same day. So after we finished lunch, we went into the, the big auditorium where, where Ken was speaking. And I remember, I don't remember all of what Ken talked about that day, but I, I remember one line in particular. He raised the question. He said, who on earth needs encouragement? And his response to himself was, everyone on earth does. We all need to be encouraged. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And people have been given so many negative messages. And and I just love thinking about like everyone has a story you know nothing about. 
and 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 how they show up. I mean, that's one of the chapters in Brilliance by Design about flip it. I don't know if you remember that chapter, yes. but it's, you know, the person that's always trying to prove that I'm kind of wrong. <laughs> Everyone's taught someone like that. Well, I don't agree with that. It's like I go right over them. My gosh, you're brilliant because the person is always trying to prove they're brilliant. I want them to know they're brilliant. Could I have you just teach that little section when we come back from break? Because that would be so cool. And then the person relaxes. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. I'm in a space. I, 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 you know, I haven't felt brilliant sometimes because I have to prove I am by asking these crazy questions that you're like, what? But anyhow, you really go into it, make them feel. And I, I think to, to sum up one thing is I just, um, and I'm going to speak for myself. I'm all about love. I just want, when I'm with you, I want you to feel loved, hmm. you know, just feel like you are, I mean, love is the most powerful. I mean, just, just, just like love, you are in a space of feeling loved. And I think that gives people a chance to relax a little bit. And by the way, if you're in a class of mine, we will love each other. <laughs> this is a place where, where there's no toleration for anybody not taking care of each other. David Osberger once said that listening is so close to being loved that most people can't tell the difference. Oh, beautiful. Yes. Oh, thank you. In light of that game coming very, very full circle here, (laughs) when we asked questions of each other around the table, we've done our own spinoff of of that game here at Someone to Tell to where we've created our own deck of cards, uh, probably because of that idea. And we we have questions that we've found to be very helpful for for various leaders and organizations. And we wanted to ask you a, a question here to end our time together. Ahead, Great. Michael. And how okay. cool is that? People love card decks. So just randomly picking one here. Who Uh-oh. are who are three historical figures whom you would like to meet? Oh my gosh, three? And why? Uh well, Mary Baker Eddy, because she's the first female to find a found Christian Science Church which is like a miracle in and of itself, the Christian Science Monitor, and I just feel like you know, if you read some of her works, I just think it would have been so amazing to be able to meet her, listen to her spirit. She was so authentic, you know, and, and I just think I've always just wanted to meet her. You know, I think that, that um, there's just a spirit of her writing, you know, I mean, one of her quotes is happiness is spiritual born of truth and love it doesn't exist alone but requires all mankind to share it so she she was just about let's let's work together people (laughs) you know to to tap into the spirituality of who we are you know and and i just think she'd be amazing you know so i think that would be awesome and uh, gosh, I have to come up with two more. <laughs> Holy McGillicuddy. Um, <laughs> hmm. Well, how about this? Well, we'll take you off the hook. Yeah, how about we? Each, how about, how about we'll, e- we'll each answer one? So we'll have three. Oh, that would be we'll great. We'll each answer one, Tom. Do you want, do you want to go? <laughs> well, it probably changes by the day. Yes. But. I'm going to respond today. There's a talk about spiritual writers who, who have really influenced us. Is, um, there was a, a Catholic priest who has since passed probably 15 years ago named uh, Henri Nouwen, and he's been, a, he's been a true spiritual hero of ours and, and has impacted our lives greatly and our work here at Someone to Tell It To. So I, I would say him. 
And I would say, actually, uh, a, a gentleman who was actually Henri Nouwen's, uh, one of his very best friends. Mm. And that would be uh, Fred, Mr. Rogers. Oh, um, yes! That uh, his, we also, both Nouwen and, and Rogers are probably the two uh, philosophers, the, the two which can ascribe all kinds of uh, adjectives for them, but authors, um, you know, but they're two of the people who are, are absolutely foundational for what we do and what they, what they've said, what they've done, what they, what they've written, uh, just inspire us and, and motivate us and encourage us all the time. So I think with, with Fred Rogers is, is just gentleness, his belief that you couldn't, you can't help, but you couldn't help, but love someone once you knew their story. Yes, um, yes. His just grace and absolute kindness. Um, just really, really, uh, it's incredible to us. And we, we wish we, I think we both wish we could have met both those men. And uh, Mary Baker Eddy, whom, whom you mentioned, was absolutely a, a, a very pivotal uh, force <laughs> of nature in, uh, in, in our history, too, and, and, and you know, history of our country and, and world. And so it's a great, great example also. And what's interesting as you think about it is the right now, we are right here right now in the middle of a pandemic, but I think people are freaking out about so many different things. And I think if you can tap into your purpose, that Mr. Rogers is, I want people to feel loved. You know, I mean, it's like, keep everybody that's listening, keep that purpose in mind because other stuff will try to get in the way and derail you from actualizing your purpose, your brilliance. Don't let it just keep that in mind. Keep that picture. And that's where like the visualization, if you're achieving your purpose, what will be, how will your interactions be and who will you be connecting with and how will you show up and all of that. I think we just need to keep embedding that in our soul is this is who I want to be. And then I can let some of this other stuff go because my brain energy that's why I'm enjoying this neuroscience of business because the brain energy is going to keep us on our path of being our brilliance to become who you know we need to be to be what other people need us to be. And I think it's a lovely dance. Yeah. Well, this has been absolutely Good. wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your authentic self with us mm-hmm. today. Oh, thank you. Keep up the good work. I can't wait to read your new book. We'll make sure you have a copy. <laughs> ah, I love that. I have my other one's right over there on my bookshelf. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, well, keep up the good work. You two are just miracles. <laughs> thank you. So are you. Oh, <laughs> uh, thank you all. Thank you so much. I think that we live in a in a world and a in a time when so many people don't think that they're brilliant. They don't think that they have the kind of gifts that, uh, that matter or the kind of experiences that can make a difference in the world. It just seems with, with so many of the people to whom we listen and interact with and with whom we interact, they, um, they just don't realize the gifts, the talents, and the value that they have. And that's, that's one of the things that we just love about Vicki. She truly believes, and we believe this along with her, 
that every single person has something to offer. Every single person has a talent or talents. Every single person definitely has value in this world. And uh, to be able to talk with and, you know, just say that with someone else who believes it as passionately as we do is a real honor and a real privilege. And we're so glad that we were able to do that today uh, with Vicki. One of the things that really stood out to me in this episode is she made the point that brilliance isn't a random act that happens to people. It's something that we draw out in other people. As leaders, it's our job to make other people feel brilliant. And that's what Vicki does. That's her full-time calling is to make people feel br- brilliant. And we're grateful that uh, she made us feel brilliant in this episode, that we too have something to offer the world. It started in her home a few years ago, as we discussed at length, this meaningful conversation and, and interaction that we had around the dinner table in her home. And then it's continued as we've maintained this relationship across the country uh, and this episode is virtual, but we've, as Michael mentioned, we've been face to face and that doesn't happen too often with many of our guests, but the relationship's going to continue long into the future. And we're just, again, grateful that she's made us feel brilliant today. And we hope you feel brilliant as well. So thank you for joining us. Um, we're excited because as we um, enter a new year, we're going to have our book will be published Listening two by two, a paradigm shift for leaders. That's when the magic happens. This book is going to be published on uh, January 11th, and we hope that you will be one of the many, many people who buy the book. Again, we're grateful that you joined us today, and uh, we're going to be taking a little break for a few weeks uh, through the holidays, and we'll be back up and running again at the end of January after the book is, um, is published and out. So, until we listen again. Thanks again for listening. We use Buzzsprout to create this podcast. And as a small nonprofit team, we really appreciate how easy they make it to get our guest stories out into the world. With Buzzsprout, you get a beautiful podcast website, audio players to embed into other sites, detailed analytics, tools to promote your episodes, and so much more. Use the link in the show notes to get a $20 Amazon gift card when you sign up for a paid plan and to support our show.